Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Tom, this is one of the darkest days in modern Top Chef history. I am crushed, crushed over the dismissal of Nene Wynn. Kevin, cheer up. Don't you still have Brian Malarkey on your team? This is 
Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. I'm Tom Haverstrow. Tom, last week we identified a top tier with three chefs, Melissa, Gregory, Kevin, and this week only solidified further that that tier, in fact, exists. It is dominant. Gregory wins the quick fire, and the powerhouse team of Melissa and Kevin walk away with the elimination challenge. Yes, Melissa is, I mean, is she 73 and 9 Golden State Warriors right now? I'm talking about three wins for her in six, six episodes. She is on fire, Kevin. She is not just winning three episodes out of the first six, uh, six challenges, but she is doing it in an all-star season with no bottom three finishes, Kevin. She hasn't fumbled at all this entire competition. Three wins, six episodes, no bottoms. You know how many times that's happened in Top Chef history, Kevin? I would suspect very rarely. Do you have the stats? I do have the stats. Season 12, Gregory comes close. Four wins, one low. Not quite what Nini's done. Three wins, no lows. Season six, Brian Voltaggio, three wins, no bottom. In his first six episodes in season six, Brian Voltaggio is in this competition. Gregory Gordet is in this competition. And yet. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about Butcher Box. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. 
You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Melissa is the king. Melissa King is doing it with those two in the competition. I posit to you, Kevin, that this is the greatest six-episode start in Top Chef's history. It's not just the way she's cooking, too, because, I mean, just look at this episode, right? What, what, what does she do for the starter, for the quick fire? She does a financier. I mean, everybody's doing entrees. She's just, you know what? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this lovely little almond cake, and it is going to place. Then it gets to the, to the elimination challenge with Kevin. We don't need protein. Who needs a stinking protein? We'll go with the cabbage. I, so it, it's not just that she's dominating. It is the ballsiness and just the sheer confidence of, of her choices that, that she cares not for the conventions of the show. She is going to cook her food, one of the great tropes of, of Top Chef. Cook your food. She is cooking her food, Tom. She is. And, I mean, I I feel bad that Nini's out of the competition here. Uh, I feel bad for your team. I feel bad for – just in general, uh, I love how delightful she is in the show. But I think the gr- the great, I don't know, um, the great development of this season is Melissa. And yes, she she didn't finish as like the runner up in her season, but she was still pretty strong. Just like the Golden State Warriors were a few years ago when they ran off with a twenty four and zero start. I think this is one of those. This this is Melissa right now. This is king shit. This is Melissa King. I mean, we all need to bow down to Melissa. I know that Gregory is is winning like quick fire after quick fire here, but Melissa, I she has not stumbled once on this show. And Gregory, I know he's doing really really well. I'm happy that he's on my team, but I just got to say Melissa uh, is on another level. Uh, there is enough love to go around. Uh, another big development for me this week is Tom, I have to confess, especially after the last few episodes, I'm finally starting to get malarkey. Like, I, I think it's clear that everyone it, 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 everyone's in no. on well, – hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I, want, I want you to let me let my, <laughs> kind of riff on this theory. I think it's clear everyone is in on the joke. I think it's clear that it's performance. I think it's clear that he is a willing heel. I think it is clear that Padma can not keep a straight face because she finds him so amusing. Um, And I'm starting to finally get it. Like, I I think there is a little bit of, you know, it's funny. Didn't didn't we make a Skip Bayless parallel a a couple weeks ago? Well, I I kind of, he's sort of the willing heel. Like, it is an act. And I think this week I started seeing it through a new lens, which is, yeah, it's shtick, and it's. I yeah, I mean, it's. I'm. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. That's all. You're I'm getting saying. the fact that he screwed up his quick fire so bad he could only put like a scoop of ice cream into a dish. Oh, I'm not saying I'm naming him top <laughs> chef. I'm not saying I want to invest a penny in whatever dalliance he makes in in restaurant world. Okay, what I'm saying is, as a character, I'm starting okay. to get. The malarkey thing. And, and it was actually through Padma that I'm getting it. It is okay. so clear that she is amused. And Padma is amused by nothing. This is not a woman who is easily amused. I think it is – I think 17 seasons of Top Chef has borne that out. So um, I'm starting to get the malarkey thing. Actually, I think we will talk more about this later, even though I've never been so sure of an outcome as I was about the elimination of malarkey and Leanne. Lo and behold, they not only acquit themselves, they almost damn win the damn competition. 
Shout out to the uh, Magical Elves, the production, the the editing team on this one. I mean, I thought it was a a slam dunk that they were going to be eliminated right from the get-go. And they, they showed us that throughout the episode. They were leaning into it. And then, boom, a 180. It was quite the finish, quite the turnaround. So, Kevin, let's get right through it. Let's go. Let's get to the jump. Right, so we've got the quick fire. The the guest judge of quick fire is is a chef I love, Chris Bianco from Pizzeria Bianco in Phoenix. Tom, one of my absolute favorite places is True Story. December 2017, I'm running a half marathon in Scottsdale. Starts about 7, 8 a.m. I don't even remember. And I had decided that Pizza Bianco back in downtown Phoenix, where I was staying three blocks away, opens at noon. I'm going to run this race. I'm going to go back to the Hotel Palomar in downtown Phoenix. I am going to shower. I'm going to pack, and I'm going to be on the doorstep of mm. Pizzeria Bianco at 11.57 a.m. with 13.1 miles under my belt. And I'm going to eat not one but two Pizzeria Biancos, and I damn well did, man. I had my favorite, the Sunny Boy with olives and salami, and then I also had – um, the Rosa, which is the rosemary and pistachio pizza with roasted onion. And prom- oh, I was going to eat one and, and take one for the road. Let's just say that that second one did not make it to the road. Um, it's a wonderful place. You know, our, our friend Elmin Al Hassan is a huge devotee of Pizzeria Bianca. Yeah, Amin is a huge fan. Uh, I texted him a photo of Chris uh, next to Padma and said, hey, look who's on this week's Top Chef. And he goes, my guy, Chris. Um, it, Amin, Amin adores this guy. Anytime you're in, in Phoenix and you want some good food, Amin demands that you go get in touch with Chris and he'll find you a seat at, uh, at Pizzeria Bianco. Now, I, I was surprised to see him on this episode because maybe – does he have L.A. – connections kevin or is this just simply hey we wanted to do uh feature his restaurant and his uh you know the flower with the pizza we want to do that i didn't know if he had a restaurant in la or not or maybe he was born in la yeah no no he actually um at the row in downtown los angeles this new new ish complex uh they brought pizzeria bianco to downtown los angeles so um, perfect and that was just in the past few months really so uh, i have not even been yet but it's uh, so he is he is he is dipping his toe into the culinary waters of Los Angeles, which is I think why he's in. Also, it makes sense because they're having a flour challenge, except uh, no glutinous, good old fashioned wheat flour in this contest. The chefs have to go pick uh, an, a, a one of these other flours and make a dish, and and that I'm, is the challenge. I'm not experienced in this area, Kevin. Are you? Um. So one of the things is as a as a gay man in Los Angeles, I am a hardened carbophobe. I have talked about this condition on the show before. I, I just look at a carbohydrate and that's it. Done. Uh, so I avoid carbohydrates. Also, I avoid baking because then the thing is, Tom, if I started baking, that would just be trouble because what would happen yeah. is I would make lemon squares and eat them all in one night. Like I, I, <laughs> I if I ever learned how to bake, I would be so fucked. Um, I, I would immediately it, – it would it would just be a disaster. So I've always avoided flour, not just because of the carbophobia, but because just knowing just the trouble it will lead to. Yeah, my my wife, she's uh, she's been trying to find activities for the kid, the three year old Madeline, for uh, during this this uh, lockdown, and inevitably, like twice, three, two, three times a week, she ends up doing uh, 
baking or cooking and it ends up me just crushing a bunch of brownies or crushing a bunch of coffee cake or whatever it is. And it's deadly. It is so hard to avoid just, you know, you know, when like you have that dish that almost like, like for, for Easter, we had a, a huge dish in the kitchen full of starburst jelly beans. Do you know how much restraint you have to have to not just fistful, just shove jelly beans every time you walk into the kitchen? It's impossible. And I kind of feel like it's the same thing with with baking bread at home. Like if I could do that, if I had that skill, and I know it's really big in this pandemic right now is, is baking yeah, your own bread. What is it with the bread baking? It's everywhere. I have no idea. What, what timing about this episode considering that everyone is, is doing their own sourdough? I haven't done it. I don't know. None of my friends have done it here in Charlotte, but I got to imagine that if you do start going down that path, you just know that you're going to be adding a freshman 15. Well, that's it. I don't need a world where snickerdoodles are at my disposal at every moment. (laughs) So uh, interesting choices. Um, Gregory, of course, just bangs out the smartest, simplest challenge here. He uses tapioca flour, which is really starchy. It's perfect for like fluffy, um, cakey things. And he does – what does he do? He does what everybody in the world loves. Who doesn't love pancakes with maple syrup and blueberry compote? You can have your you can have your other stuff. You can have your cornmeal cassava porridge, which look lovely from Eric. You can have your garbanzo flour falafel, look very nice from Karen. But Gregory knows what the world wants. And what the world loves is pancakes, blueberries, and and maple syrup. And he wins the quick fire with this. You know what's amazing? He's gotten this far. By being gluten-free for the last 10 years. I was shocked to hear that. Think about that. You're a chef that is just killing the competition, right, in the, in the season 12 when he was on the show. Gets on All-Stars does extremely well. He's one of the best Top Chef contestants of all time. Then you find out that he just hasn't or hasn't been eating like a giant category on the uh, on the food chart. Like that's amazing. That's amazing uh, news from Kevin – I mean um, Gregory wins this, this episode – wins the quick fire here. But I, you know, I thought that Melissa might have won with her duck fat almond financier. I thought, um, I, I thought he, that Gregory obviously really thought this 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 uh, this challenge through because and everything just seemed like duh. I I, I should have done that, but uh, he he nails it. Um, confession: I, I have always known what a financier is. I didn't know it was called a financier. I just knew it was one of those little Frenchy kind of nice crust, like a muffin texture in the middle with like the nice crust on the outside. It never knew it had a name. It obviously did have a name, but that is it. Uh, Nini also places in the quick fire with her Vietnamese rice crepe that looked delicious, mm-hmm. uh, doing her thing. Stephanie, I, I, I'm actually, I want to, Stephanie, I'm very happy about Stephanie's performance in this episode. I think she's, there's some, she's a confidence chef. And she did a nice blue, uh, blue corn gnocchi. I, I love blue corn. I learned about blue corn for the first time when I was living in Santa Fe, where um, there's this wonderful place in Santa Fe, New Mexico called Teco Latte, where I ate like three mornings a week. It is like an old school New Mexican diner, and they had blue corn pancakes with piñon that I was absolutely crazy about and, and loved going there. They also had the best um, huevos rancheros with green chili. Um, we need a we need you know what we need we need a uh, Top Chef Santa Fe. That would be a really good good. Um, that would be a really good. You could do kind of fold in some Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, celebrity <laughs> stuff in there. Like it would be, it would be a particularly good, good season of, of Top Chef. Um, but and Steph, then on the can bottom, I say something about Steph real yeah, quick? Yeah, please, please, please. Her dishes are starting to look the same. This one looked almost exactly the same as her chili from the last episode. Just kind of the same motifs in there. I don't know. I feel like Steph. Uh, 
I'm, I'm sad that Nini's gone, but at least we still have Steph who is adorable on this show and she's got some great one-liners and she still brought it on this episode with her little like buddy cop show with, with Gregory. Love that. But the, the Steph gnocchi, I had no, I, I couldn't really see the gnocchi on the dish and I thought, man, this looks exactly like that veggie uh, chili that she made from the last episode. So just a note on Steph. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, I mean, it's sort of reaffirms what we talked about last week is that while we like her food, she's clearly a good dish, uh, kind of a plate chef, that there is a lack of imagination at times. Um, and she, I'm not surprised, Kevin, that she wins in the – or she does very well in the elimination challenge when she only has to make a dish for you know six people or whatever right. it is. Um, I want to talk about Voltaggio for a second because a theme is emerging with Voltaggio. So again, as he's done several times this season, he makes a gorgeous dish in the quick fire mm-hmm. and – he ends up on the bottom because it looks it, it does not adhere to the parameters of the challenge. He does not mm. feature or he does not highlight the featured item. They're supposed to really work with this 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 flower. Uh, and what he does is a gorgeous piece of roasted sole with a beautiful pea puree and just uses a bit of hazelnut flour to create an olive crumble. So it is the least flowery of the flower dishes. The chefs like the dish in and of itself, but ding him for not adhering to the challenge, the spirit of the challenge. And, and yes. again, and we'll talk about it in the, in the elimination, but you could argue that again, they do as refined and nice a dish as anybody on the, on the table, but they didn't really nail the spirit of the challenge. So Voltaggio is kind of cooking Voltaggio food and he ain't going to get sent home for it, at least not anytime soon, but there's going to be a day, Tom, where Voltaggio cooks a beautiful plate that nevertheless has to go home because the competition is so stiff that he is going to get dinged because – not because he, he he fouls up a dish, but because he just colors too far outside the lines in yes. his insistence on coloring very far inside the Voltaggio lines. Right, which is dumbfounding because Brian Voltaggio has been on Top Chef twice and he's actually been like a judge, I guess judge on the show. So you feel like he would understand – the parameters of each of the competitions, right? Like you would, you would think that he would think this through and be like, okay, I know I can make this dish and I know I can add this element uh, that is the spirit of the dish, but is it going to win because this is the main event of the dish? Like that's the sort of thinking you need to have on Top Chef. And it doesn't seem like he's connecting all those dots, even though he might be the most experienced member of the staff. Right. He, he looks like a chef who's treating the challenge as an unfortunate inconvenience. Right. Mm. Oh, damn. Okay. So, all right. You want some wheat? Uh, here's a little crumble. Now I, yeah. I check the box. Right. Oh, you want um, you want these two 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 flavor? You, you want you want sweet bitter? Oh, fine. Uh, we'll just do up a you know bitter greens and pork loin, and yeah, there'll be a little sweet around the crust of this uh, this negligible crust of, of of the of the loin, and I just feel like I he's one of my favorite chefs on the show. I just feel like it's gonna bite him in the ass. That there's there are too many. We're starting to see what the most notable consequence of this week was. This is the first week where someone went home for a dish that would be top three in any other season and any other challenge, right? Yes. Like, like they they. I want to talk more about this. The weird sort of heartbreaking conundrum that this challenge elimination challenge was, but but there there's but no. Brian, but Brian, remember last last episode? Maybe we we talked about how Brian Vitaggio is kind of this like. Uh, uh, sleeping tiger almost like he's just he's really underperforming right now but you probably wouldn't bet against him in the next in the next like six episodes like it's it's continued to be the LeBron parallel for Brian uh, Brian Voltaggio where I remember a few years ago they were awful on defense and you kept saying to yourself 
There's no team that can come back after being the 29th best defense after the All-Star break and still get to the finals. And yet LeBron did. And I kind of feel like Voltaggio is the LeBron of this competition where you know that he's just kind of sleepwalking his way through here. And he's kind of he's kind of just uh, you know teasing everybody with how good he is. He's producing great dishes, but not in the spirit of the competition. And I just think he's going to connect everything together uh, later in, at least I hope he's on my team. Right. And again, I don't, I wouldn't be worried about him, but he's going to at some point have to realize that he can go home for a really good dish at this point yeah. in this season, merely because he doesn't adhere to the spirit of the challenge. And I think that's like, if you asked me, Hey, if you told me right now, Voltaggio is going to go home sometime in the next three or four weeks before we get to the final four. Why? I would say like he puts he puts together a beautiful technical dish that doesn't adhere to the parameters of a challenge or doesn't sufficiently adhere to the parameters of a challenge. And, and that, that's the thing. Of course, we get our comic relief in Malarkey. Oh my he God. actually apparently makes a very lovely ice cream, but was going to do some <laughs> sort of, I don't know, raspberry filled donut with a coconut crackling over the ice cream, which I think he managed to do. But um, everybody was was amused and it, it was our Malarkey yeah. moment. No, no, Padma wasn't amused. Oh, she was. You could see she was amused. Oh, it she was, was a like, really when he was, was doing his whole abda abda abda. I, I you know, was going to have a raspberry jelly, but uh, he she was totally amused. I wish I wish we had a Zoom video right now because I would be doing my Brian Malarkey impression. My hands are out. Okay, my eyes are really big, and I'm holding my hands out as like I'm playing patty cake with you. Okay, all right. Before you come over here. Now stop and close your eyes, okay? Imagine this luscious donut filled uh, with this raspberry jam served next to a coconut ice cream, next level, over the top. And then Padma looks down and it's a scoop of fucking ice cream. This is malarkey in a nutshell. Is he's going to talk up this beautiful game, next level, over the top. You've never tasted anything like this. And you look down and it's a fart. That's what it is. It is. And and poor Chris has to sit here and be like, really, really? There's there's nine chefs. I only get to do this once, and you're giving me an ice cream scoop. And look, Kevin, I know, I know, it's all part of the joke. Everyone's in on it, and you got to see the pan through the through the um, the kitchen at Eric and Steph, and they're all laughing, kind of like, oh, here we go again with Brian Malarkey. But Kevin. This is a clear misstep when he screwed up the ice cream the first time and he goes to ice cream again. So what, what so you're saying he's a good character, but in terms of performance, he is just uh, a, at this point, obviously foreshadowing here. I, I don't understand how he's still in the competition. Well, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a good heel. And, um, <laughs> are you and, suggesting that the, the 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 chefs are keeping him in the competition for good entertainment purposes? No, no. I, I'm suggesting that actually his food generally tastes pretty good in elimination challenges. Good enough that there's always going to be somebody below him, and and I, I don't suspect he'll be a, he'll be around for much longer. But I'm starting to appreciate his presence more okay. as 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 a friendly annoyance. Uh, so the double – this is going to be a double elimination challenge, and I know, Tom, you feel the same way I do, which is I always find it revealing in a situation where chefs have to partner up and they get to mm. choose their partners. My, I love – you and I both have a fondness for the Top Chef production crew. I do wish, however, that they'd keep the wide shot running 
through the moment when Padma says, okay, find a partner. Because it does tell you so much about the personal dynamics in the in the interchef dynamics in the show when you get to see which chefs want to run over to which chefs. You're so right about that. I now that I think about it, I so want that. Is just dead air, like no music, just show me what the raw video of them mm-hmm. trying to sort out who goes with who. And Kevin, when when you're thinking about this, um, is your first inclination if you're uh, Chef Kevin on the show, uh, not Kevin Gillespie, Kevin Artemis, are you going for the person you get along with the most? Are you going with someone who you know is the best chef? Or are you going with someone first that you – are you checking for their knives first and seeing who am I going to match up better? So I'm wondering, what is your strategy in this situation? Are you going for your best person, uh, your, your best collaborator, the best chef or are you checking the knives first? So I'm thinking I'm a professional chef, so I'm not going to worry that, ooh, I have sour. I have to be with sweet or I need to be with umami. Like I, I'm assuming that I can wed two, um, two tastes together. Mm-hmm. I'm going with Gregory, and here's why I'm going with Gregory. There, he is orderly. He is calm. He is brilliant. And the stuff he knows how – there's no chaos ever associated with this dish. There's just enough whimsy. You don't want too much whimsy when you're working with somebody else because whimsical people are, are, are great and you love their art. But I don't necessarily want to create art with them. So to me, it's such an easy call. Like I'm grabbing – I am running. Uh, run, do not walk over to Gregory. And, and Steph and, makes the move there. That oh, was, yeah. That, and, and, and it seemed like – all right. So the first people that, that link up. You got uh, Nini and Karen, dun, dun, dun. best friends. They link up immediately. They know that they 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 really like each other. They know they work well with each other. Great off the court, on the court. They link up. Then I believe Steph and Gregory kind of match up, but uh, Eric and Brian uh, Voltaggio were kind of a little bit late. It was like, what do you got? You got sour? Or I got bitter. All right, well, I guess well, let's let's do it. And they they just kind of like tap knives and. and they're in. But I was surprised by the fact that uh, Eric and Voltaggio, it wasn't like a boom right off the bat or Gregory and Steph. I know that Gregory and Steph worked together before. Um, and I think it's kind of, I think it's endearing to me that Gregory was cool with that because Stephanie's really struggled on the show. And yet this is a guy who is, it, it might be uh, the second favorite at this point. Um, and he still links up with Stephanie. I kind of love that. Yeah, I mean, they there was only a group of three, and they were two of the three. They won. I would imagine that Stephanie's easy to work with. He can provide any imagination that she lacks. I just think, and I think they're probably they're both pretty precise chefs. I mean, I, I just think it, it makes sense to me. Um, you know, Kevin's going to be great, but again, I mean, he's I mean, he's fantastic. A little bit of a cowboy. Yeah, you don't know. Um, you know, I, again, Voltaggio and Eric, I couldn't see if they kind of sought each other out. You, you suggested that you feel like they kind of were just – it was the music the, the music stopped. You had to find a chair and they were kind of with each other. I do yeah. think it's – you know, and obviously I, it seemed as if all eight chefs as politely as possible wanted nothing to do with either Leanne or, or Malarkey. Am I correct right, there? Yes, yes. Okay. Let, let's power rank them real quick, OK? You got Karen and Nini, Leanne and Brian Malarkey, Gregory and Steph. Eric and Voltaggio, Melissa and Kevin. I go Melissa and Kevin, number Easy. one. I go Eric and Voltaggio, two. I go Karen and Nini, three. 
Gregory and Steph four, and Leanne and Brian Malarkey five. Yeah, I'm going to flip Voltaggio and Eric, and I don't say this with hindsight. I feel like, and here's why, I feel like in a two-person team, it's not the average of the two. It's the it, it's it's the it's the ranking of the of the top. In other words, you don't average Gregory and Stephanie if you want an approximation of their talent as a team. Mm. You weight the first person maybe 0.75 and the other person 0.25. You're so talking ceiling rather than absolutely no. Because look, a, a really great chef can rescue a mediocre one, right? Um, and I feel like. It, 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 the, the, the team is generally the result of the stronger chef um, in, in terms of elasticity of outcome, right? Like like mm. Gregory's not going to, to the extent you want to say, play down to, to Stephanie's level. That's insulting. I don't, I don't suggest that. But I think, you know, the, the team is going to take on Gregory's potential more than it's going to be hampered by whatever limitations that Stephanie has, in my opinion. No, I hear that. I hear that. Um, so I would so put Gregory second, yeah. Okay, so you're going Melissa and Kevin, number one. Gregory and Steph, number two. Yeah. Karen and Nini? Or no, no, I'll probably Eric have Voltaggio and-, and, okay. and, and Eric probably. I mean, um, I, I still really like Karen as a chef, and I'm, um, and we'll talk more about the, the crazy uh, Last Chance Kitchen scenarios mm-hmm. um, a little later. In fact, I, I got to tell you, I feel like Last Chance Kitchen was every bit as notable this week as any of the other two Indeed. Um, chapters in the, in the episode or in the week. And that, that's kind of how I would do it. Um, uh, but lo and behold, it, 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 it's a really uh, – can you recall this early in a season, Tom, with 10 chefs left, there not being one dish that even remotely is even anywhere near clunker status? Well, I would say there's only five dishes, right? Right. So there's only five – of the five, there's only one that can go wrong and and they nail all five. So I'm not that surprised. I mean – Yeah, that's it's, a good point. You know, because it's not like they're creating 10 dishes. You know, this is five dishes that each of the each of these teams, we know that they're really, really, really good at this competition. It's just whether they have the the good teamwork, whether they have the chemistry, whether they have the, the restraint. Because when you have to edit a dish of your own, that's one thing. When you have to edit a dish of someone else's – uh, that takes a lot of 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 chemistry and a lot of just deference, and I think that's why this episode was so. I mean, maybe maybe everyone had struggled with shopping at Whole Foods, but they seem to zero in on Leanne and Brian Malarkey as really struggling to edit just what they were getting from the from the store, and it just seemed like, man, this is going to be an absolute roadkill. Leanne and Brian Malarkey are going home. This is going to be quick, and 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 they're going to be a quick out. But uh, no, I wanted to ask you a question, Tom, because I know you're somebody who likes to watch the the Whole Foods um, supermarket run uh, chaos. And do you think it was a dick move for Leanne no. to take all the uh, the end dive? It would be a dick move if she wasn't. Uh, in the bottom of this competition. But I feel like if you're Leanne, you need to get an edge wherever you can find it. So screw everyone else. I'm going to go get the end dot. Right. And by the way, to uh, to persist with another theme that you've talked about this season, Eric got boxed out. <laughs> Eric, like what, what's going on in the paint there, my friend? He's getting boxed, He's getting boxed out, out all the way to the front item. row. Man, it's crazy. Eric Eric continues. And Voltaggio got hit with the uh, – he tried to go get the duck and they had no duck and so he had to go with the pork. But the, Eric continues 
uh, we're going to have to bring him on to the show later and, and talk about what, what he's working on during this, this pandemic. You know, he's, he's getting a thousand shots up at the gym. No, he is just doing the killer rebounding drill and just trying to box out everybody. That's what you need to be working on, Eric. So going back to Leanna Malarkey, and it was obviously an enormous upset, right? They end up finishing second in out of five. It is pretty much declared. But I think there's a reason why. Because the pairing was so potentially disastrous and because both Malarkey and Leanne were acutely aware of it, I feel like they approached the day like with the precision of a bomb squad trying to defuse a bomb because they're so aware of how combustible the situation is. They were they were I think they were so conscious of and, and they said it at least three or four times, we need to edit, we need to edit. And again, I think it's it's a question of people being aware of their weaknesses and saying, let's just let, let's mitigate those weaknesses the best we can. And I think they're being self-conscious, they actually did really beautifully. They had umami and bitter Tom. They they go out they get the they they get the end dive I mean I, I'm imagining the orange uh, charred orange puree you know orange zest is pretty friggin' bitter um, they mm-hmm. have this they have this cheese crisp but which can play bitter and then they get the umami if you told me like what's umami like miso anchovy hollandaise is about as umami as a as a as a culinary <laughs> substance can get they nailed it they nailed it Tom and beef umami right. I- I thought it was going to crash at the even at the Whole Foods. I thought it was uh, they were going to miss something. Uh, they were going to they were going to buy the wrong thing. Uh, they were going to forget an an ingredient. Of course, Leanne just comes in with the metaphors about about Brian Malarkey saying he's like a cat with a laser pointer. He's like shopping with him is like shopping with monkeys on crack. Leanne is very clear that this was a really big struggle to get to the finish line at Whole Foods and get this dish done. But like you said, now that you frame it that way, it makes sense because I think they both have an understanding, Kevin, that they are the most likely out in this in this episode, right? They're looking around and they're seeing these these uh, these tandems and they're saying, if we don't get our shit together here, Brian and Leanne, we're, we're going home. So we got to bring it. And they did. We saw something pretty rare in the Elimination Challenge this week, and that is an uncharacteristic Gregory error. I am fond of saying that Gregory plays an error-free ball. Like, I mean, this guy never makes a mistake. It's something I, I've probably said on this broadcast a, a zillion times. He made a mistake, and the mistake was he is a guy who does love a little heat. In fact, one of his great strengths as a chef is I always say that there's always a spicy, always a sweet, and always a sour element to all of his component to, to all of his dishes. That he's he's able just to take those those five tastes essentially and marry them with perfect balance. Unfortunately, he brought in spicy in a contest that didn't call for it, and I, I kind of want to second something that Gail Simmons says. I, I feel like the last 15 years in food has been about spiciness, right? You've got the the contest you talk about, Tom, this, mm-hmm. this show where people just go on and the entire – Hot ones, work, yep. Right, hot ones. The entire point of the show is to to demonstrate that you can take the hot food. Um, we, you know, kind of the Sichuan movement, um, Chengdu taste out here. Um, and, and I have to say – and, and, and part of it is, is that in my older age, like I've just, my colon has started to reject spicy food. Yes, Kevin, so, we've talked about we've it on talked the about show. But my okay. point is, is I do want to say something. <laughs> I do think sometimes, and, and I, a, a good friend of mine who's a, who's a great chef here in Los Angeles kind of confided in me that like, because one of the things I commented, I was like, you know, I never have to deal with the heat. Like there's always great flavor in your, your food and every heat. He's like, he's like, spiciness is so overrated. 
He's like, all it, he's like, you know what spiciness is? It's just numbing your tongue. It's just something that just completely obliterates every other subtlety and taste in a dish. And he's just like, and I'm just so happy to say, like, you know what? I didn't want it. I didn't need it, said Gail mm. Simmons. Put the chilies away sometimes. I, I sometimes wish chilies were a little farther from the kitchen than they are. I, I just, it, it's, I think spiciness has gotten, I, I think it's, it, it gets disproportionate play. In, in in the culinary arts right now, just a feeling. I don't know. I kind of pro- feel like Gregory's doing well with that so far. Yeah, but uh, he's he's doing well. And and I think jalapeno in terms of spice, like I'm I'm not a huge fan of the flavor of jalapeno. So like, I get what she's going for here, and it probably was un- it was superfluous. It really was um, the jalapeno. Uh, added to this dish i i wasn't sure if that was stephanie or gregory i was going to ask you about that but Probably, in I retrospect think i think it like was gregory. gregory it makes it makes sense it was Gregory. what was really by the way this was a great dish um it, it sounds like yeah. we're kind of we're, we're bearing the lead um one of the things that i was really impressed with is when they said they were doing miso mirosaki sea bass so miso mirosaki um is sort of the combination that you get on that nobu like like miso um black cod is is a dish we all love right and mm. and i started making it at home and that mirin is sweet miso is sort of sweet um sake is kind of sweet ish so what i was really impressed with them is they had sour salty and i was like uh-oh uh-oh the sweet's gonna come through the sweet's gonna come through um yeah uh the celeriac will kind of temper it and you've got pickled apples uh, apples and you've got like the bacon and yuzu to kind of do the salty uh, sour, but I was afraid that the miso mirin sake combo would just be like, ah, this is going to be a sweet dish, and it wasn't. So, um, yeah, I put uh, the heat was their air, and which kept them from the, being in the top two, but um, they still nailed the dish in, in a really graceful way because again, that could have been a dish that tasted sweet. Yeah, I, I mean, listen to that dish: sea bass glaze and miso mirin and sake with sautéed uh, celeriac, pickled apples, bacon, and yuzu. Lots going on there. But it sounds delicious. And without the hint of jalapeno or the overpowering jalapeno in the broth, um, that might have won the, won the night. Um, another middle dish, and then we'll get to like the bottom, the other kind of the, the fourth out of fifth place finisher, and they were on the chopping block. Brian and Eric. I mean, Tom, this, this is a surprise, right? I mean, you yeah. had them power rank number two. Um, these guys know what they're doing. They had a plan. I love their plan, right? Voltaggio is this structuralist. So so he's going to, as as Eric said, build the framework for the dish and then then you let you know eric get in there uh you def- he defer you know he defers to eric on on flavor notes on creative direction they're going to do a a nutty stew lacquered pork loin with bitter greens um and it all sounds like it's brilliant just a little bit too much pork surface area was a problem on this one um and when it came out i kind of I don't know about you, Kevin. I like a nice, fatty, salty crust on my pork. And when you have a slice thin like that, that's a lot of surface area for a little bit of the sweet on the top. And and I think immediately when I saw the dish, that's what I thought about is that's that's something my mama makes. Like that, my mom is not a great cook. And I, and I just think that when you're on Top Chef, you got to make that ratio right. And Tom pointed that out. And I thought that was, you know, if we're nitpicking – I thought that was a pretty simple thing that I thought if they tasted the dish or if they ate the dish, they would have tried to uh, edit that a little bit down and cut that pork slice in half so that you get an equal ratio of the of the fat and topping crust 
with the meat itself. And it, it, it might, might've been dried out. I don't remember if that was one of the critiques, but um, yeah, this, this seemed like a really good dish just needed just a slight, slight cut there on the pork. Yeah. And, and Tim Hollingsworth, who is the chef at Odium where uh, the, the competition took place um, and, and quick diversion. So Odium is where you always eat before you go to Disney hall for a concert or you go to the Mark Taper Forum uh, for, for, for a play or the Amundsen Theater. And so I, I eat there frequently because it is just like it's the best option. You can walk right across. Also, they they know you're going to a show at 8 so they, they get you out at 730 kind of thing. Um, and he had the idea for these guys, which was, look, how about just a little kind of roasted apple compote or something with onion that, that would bring out the sweetness. Um, that is a great space, by the way. Uh, and um, the other thing is – one of the cooler mornings of my lifetime was I got a private tour of Disney Hall before it opened by architect Frank Gehry. Wow. Um, seriously, one of the coolest three hours of my life. Um, <laughs> my friend was in town from New York. She was doing a piece on – a big piece on the uh, on, on the construction and, and the completion of this, of this beautiful building and invited me. She's like, uh, I'm getting a tour with Frank Gehry. You want to come along? And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 that'd be cool. <laughs> um, and, and so it's just, it is such a gorgeous building. I love, and we'll talk about the cabbage in, in a second, but I, I love that it was, it was inspiration of the chefs um, visually. Um, Gustavo Dudamel, dude, he is like, um, let me just say this. He's like LeBron at, 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 in high school, man. Like Dudamel took over the LA Phil before he turned 30, man. Like wow. this guy is like when you talk to classical music dorks and I've got a few in my life, like this guy was LeBron. Like this guy, I, I mean, running the LA Phil before you're 30 is, is being the musical director of the LA Phil is like a really big deal. Like people were there. He's charming. Tries- he's great. Like on yes. this episode, I was like more of this guy. Yeah. I mean, he took over Mesa Pekka Salon and I actually saw the two of them together, I think like about six, seven years ago at a concert there. And, um, but I was just like, they, I didn't think they played that up enough. Like this dude is like one of the great prodigies of the 21st century musically. So anyway, that was just another thing, but I, I love that they were in the shadow of Disney hall. I like Odium a lot. Um, we always go there before a play. And, um, and I thought his suggestion, Hans with suggestion would have been, was smart, right? Like all they needed was like a little roasted apple, little onion with, you know, uh, balsamic or whatever it was like they could have done just a little more sweetness and they could have even gotten away with the crust being limited but they just didn't have enough sweet on the dish yeah and almost yeah. sent them home tom almost sent them home kevin when they lined them up with voltaggio and eric alongside nini and karen did you notice that that was two on my team and then two on your team all right tom we'll, we'll talk about my team it is a train wreck. You know what? In the words of Michael Ray Richardson on the 1981-82 New York Knicks, Tom, the ship be sinking. The ship <laughs> be sinking. I bad, am so Kevin. fucked. Like, like, like this – I don't even – am I even mathematically eligible to win this thing, Tom? Uh, you got Kevin Gillespie. I'll just put it that way. I that's have Kevin it. Gillespie. I mean that's basically that's it. It's the only ray of sun that I'm giving you on this. I am so fucked. Did you – I didn't I mean I thought you, you were set when they came out first, when they walked up, when they got the elimination challenge prompt that they, they get linked up and it seemed like they got their dish together. I thought that they were in. I mean I, I – you know what they – I mean look. These women <laughs> picked – they cooked a fantastic dish. Um, I, let's talk about it for a second. They get sour umami. They're doing a poached cod and a tomato broth with pickled cucumbers. 
everything suggests that they've got the components to bring out the sour in the umami. Um, and instead, it ate sweet and sour, and they didn't hit the umami. So let's talk about umami, Tom, because I think it's like you know it when you taste it. You can't really describe it. Um, I'm going to make a confession, and this is going to terrorize everybody who comes to my house for dinner. I cook with MSG. God damn it. I cook with MSG. I don't care who knows it. Um, the anti-MSG movement of my early childhood in the late 70s and 80s was frankly racist. Um, this bullshit about you go to a Chinese restaurant and you get a headache is, is baloney. This is a sodium compound that people have been cooking with for centuries. There is a reason Chinese food is really good, um, and it has been great for centuries. So umami is the savoriness. If you ever dip your, your finger in a little MSG and kind of just put the crystals on your tongue, um, that's it. Like, you know what's umami-ish? Voltaggio, I would guarantee you. Remember his squid bolognese from last week? Yeah. That is a – I'm going to guess is umami-ish. umami-ish. You know what the ultimate umami is? You know when you go to a really – you don't go to Nooi or one of your favorite Japanese places and they have that really good roasted crispy seaweed wrap around the hand roll? That's umami. That's umami. And you know what else is umami? Tomatoes when you cook the water out of them and you really concentrate them like a like a tomato sauce that's been simmering for hours and, and all the water has gone and it's just – that is umami. And the problem with what Karen and Nini did was there was still too much water less than their tomatoes. So the tomatoes – we all love fresh tomatoes. And, that, and you know I, I think Hollingsworth kind of said that the, the, the cruel irony for these women, which was that – the fact that the tomatoey was so the fresh tomatoes were so nice in their fresh tomatoness sunk them yep. because if only the tomatoes had been a shittier element, then nobody would have noticed that they were stealing away uh, the, the the they were they were eating sweet because they weren't supposed to be sweet and fresh tomatoes are sweet cooked tomatoes are not. One of my favorite things on this planet is a roasted tomato. You slice up the tomato, you throw it in the oven. My uh, my. My sister-in-law makes an amazing roasted tomato dish. Mm. They get they get it fresh from their garden. And immediately when I walk into their, their home in Waynesville, North Carolina, I just say, give me some roasted tomatoes. It is so good. If you want a, a, an umami bomb, you're going to go for that. Or uh, this is the list of strong umami flavor foods. You got broths, gravies, soups, shellfish, uh, fish sauce, tomatoes, mushrooms, uh, meat extract, yeast extract, cheeses, and soy sauce. Like when you get that that roasted tomato just to melt down a little bit, I could eat a fucking car full of that stuff. It is so good, and I love uh, tomato. Might be my favorite uh, fruit. No, oh, it's the best. In, in, it, it's the best. It's the best. The I best. Eat, I sit there. And I'm like, hmm, what do I want? Oh, tomato soup. Hmm, what do I want? Some salsa. Hmm, what do I want? Some roasted tomato. Like, I just go for tomato anything. And in this particular dish with Nini and and Karen, I, it's a minor error, but it's a it's fatal minor. one when you're going against all these others. It's so sad because. You know, this is Top Chef. Like, if they're being graded purely on the deliciousness of their dish, they might win this damn thing. But because they didn't come through with that strong umami flavor, that, because they didn't cook that tomato, I get it. I get why they're right. going home here, but it's heartbreaking. And Karen, you know, kind of suggested unintentionally what what they did wrong. Like, she's like, okay, we're gonna. She, I think she understood that the tomatoes, as 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 constituted, were not going to get either sour umami. So what I'll do, I'll compress them with a little fish sauce. Good idea. But ultimately, like not – you needed to get – to me, you needed to concentrate it. Like you needed to get that water out 
um, to get – I mean the other team that had umami was Leanna Malarkey. When you look at that plate, like there's a reason that the orange puree was charred, right? Like there was a reason they had the cheese crisp and the miso mm. anchovy hollandaise, like the beef. And there wasn't a component there that wasn't just kind of dense in its flavor. And, and and that was sort of the contrast. And when you look at Karen and Nini, they just – I mean and it's so sad. I mean Tom – I still feel like we have more to see from Nini. I, I, I am not going to – she is my Anthony Randolph. Let me tell you, Tom. <laughs> like like she is – I know that one of the best chefs that's ever uh, – top chef chefs is Nini. And there's nothing you can do to dissuade me from this. Um, I think her record demonstrates it. It's just she has gotten a couple bad luck. I mean look. She went home for front of the house last yeah. time. She's going yeah. home from being on a team that cooked a dish that would be in the top three in any other competition. You're and absolutely right. I'm heartbroken about it. Uh, finally, though, let, let's let's do the good news real quick uh, because Kevin and Melissa. Holy how shit. ballsy are Kevin and Melissa? You know what we're going to do for the win? <laughs> roasted cabbage. Yes. Like, that's how badass we are. We're going to take roasted cabbage because, you know, be, be, because the, the lovely kind of the, these metal drapes or, or whatever you want to call them and, and, and this gorgeous arc that is the interior of Disney Hall reminded us of cabbage leaves. So god damn it, we're gonna make we're gonna make roasted cabbage with a caramel fish sauce and pork crumble and a little apple. It's sweet and salty, and we're gonna take that all the way home. This is a beautiful mind type shit. The fact that they went into this concert hall and said, not only am I gonna just take inspiration from the architecture of this building, I'm gonna infuse these two uh categories of flavor here, and I'm just gonna not use a protein. Like it's not even, hey, let's do a steak and then as a side, let's do some uh, roasted cabbage. They made the cabbage the main event. What a ballsy move here by Melissa and Kevin and so much confidence. Like at no point in this episode did you feel like, you know what? I know they did cabbage, but is this a bad idea? No, they they executed this one to perfection and Melissa and Kevin – uh, win this episode, and it just blew the chefs away, the judges away. Tom, at this point, I would trust that team of two to some bubble wrap and marshmallow fluff and have them <laughs> just make a goddamn winning dish. So they they get the 10, Tom. Uh, Leanna Malarkey come in second. Uh, Nini, they, and, they get in the top three for, this, for the yeah, voting. No, and for I appreciate your scoring. scoring. I, I appreciate yeah. that. And, and then, obviously, uh, Nini and Karen – in a heartbreaking manner are sent to last chance kitchen where they team up again, not team up rather. It's the two of them plus Lisa elimination. That makes up so sweet and sour. That was so fun when Tom is just like, and last chance kitchen starts now. That was so cool. He puts on the, the, the coat, the chef coat, and, and we're ready to go with, with the rest of the team. I thought maybe at first that we were going to have like some sort of combination of the past contestants as sous chefs because they brought them out. Yeah, I thought for a moment it was going to be one of those like, hey, pick a sous chef and then you guys are going to produce a dish together. But no, it's a one on one verse one verse one. And there we go. You know, Tom, I, 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 th- this, is, uh, this is a fascinating uh, three way competition sweet and sour shrimp for karen boy you know what it's interesting i think the heartbreak just drove karen to some of her best cooking in these two episodes of of, of last chance kitchen right i mean she does this lovely clean sweet and sour shrimp with i want to do this i'm going to grill some pineapple and then pickle it what a great accompaniment to to like uh just some really nice acidic seafood i mean that is 
that, that's beautiful because they dressed he dressed the shrimp with a fish sauce dressing. Um, and it was slightly more refined than the Nini Lisa dishes. Uh, Nini did a steak that she had to deep fry. Oh, my God. Nini was a mess in, in Last Chance Kitchen. Kind of salvaged it both times, but she burned three steaks to the point where she finally had to just throw some steak in a deep fryer at the last minute. Uh, but it was enough to move on. And Lisa had a nice-looking scallop dish with a tamarind lacquer and kefir lime and these nice little potato chips. But ultimately, Karen and Nini move on, Tom. Yep. To the yep. to the final finale to see who is going to go back in the competition. And Karen just makes a beautiful meal. Uh the, the the whole conceit is a family meal, which in restaurants is like the chef and the crew and everybody. Uh the meal that they all make collectively uh for the employees. Yeah, yeah. And I I wanna say uh, just a second here, Lisa, it just wasn't meant to be. Um Minus eleven for me for my at that Kevin it, without Lisa this would be this would be a blowout but right oh, now it's still you're a still blowout. Again. Oh, it's still a blowout. <laughs> Lisa. I pick you up for six points off my total, and you end up giving me a minus five the rest of the way. So a minus eleven combined. It was not a great pickup by me, but you know what? When you hit with Gregory and Eric and Voltaggio and Melissa and Leanne. That's okay. You can absorb Elisa Fernandez. But anyway, uh, yes, Karen versus Nini, the family meal. Look, Nini comes in with the chicken curry and just leaves. I don't know what happened here. Did she forget about it? Or, or like, did it? Did someone? Did Eric Ajapong nudge it up a level like he did against uh, Jen? No, I'm just kidding, Eric. You would never have done that. But how did that happen? How did how did Nini, who's cooked this dish a billion times, you know what I think it was, Kevin? Fatigue, exhaustion. I was, I was exactly what I was going to say, Tom. And 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 Karen talked about it. She said we haven't. We've just done this entire meal for this entire orchestra, and 20 minutes later, I'm cooking another. Two new meals. Two I mean, dishes. I think Nini just. I, I just think they were they were beaten down. And Nini salvages her chicken curry with delicata squash. Um, I love a mango salad with that like kind of uh, fish sauce, a little bit of chili, not too much. Um, I love that dish. And she just torched the bottom of that pan, um, but she recovered. But nothing. Uh, she couldn't stand to um, Karen's whole branzino that she just drops in the fryer for just a second. A wow. lovely, bright salsa verde. She did this pasta side, roasted fennel. The, I think the defining quality of the family meal is it's a series of dishes that almost unintentionally come together because you kind of just grab whatever's here. Like, give me some dry pasta. I'll make a sauce for that. Oh, what do we got? A fish. All right, let's throw that in the fryer. We'll need something a little green. Okay, let's, you know, and she just did it beautifully. And I'm very excited that Karen is going back into the competition, Tom, because I, I feel like we still haven't seen some of her best. I think she's got some serious game. Uh, there's a reason I picked her high. And um, I got to tell you, I, um, I, I'm very happy and I'm happy for her. She, I, I, think she, I think she was legitimately devastated that she was off that show from that, that dish that they didn't even screw up. Here's the thing about Karen. Is she perpetually on the verge of crying? I she think always – in her confessionals, it always seems like she's crying or like on the verge of crying or it, on the show, it seems like she's just overwhelmed. And every time she pushes – it, puts a dish together, I'm like, that's brilliant. 
She is so smart. You can tell that she's a James Beard Award winner whenever she's putting together a dish. But I feel like in the confessionals, she's always just just welling up and ready to burst. And then she does burst. Like at the end of this episode, when she figures out that she's going back in the competition, she just falls apart crying. And I, I, got, I understand. She just had to do the elimination challenge. Um, then two dishes on top of each other going against her best friend in the competition. This must have been an absolute emotional uh, roller coaster for her. Well, I think you're missing one important biographical fact here. She was a musical theater major, Tom. (laughs) So when you want to understand the temperament, (laughs) the emoting – the spirit you're dealing with a musical theater major and Amen. i think that is what you so when she see if she's going to burst into song or burst into tears or burst into hysteria that is what you're recognizing tom yes um, it is the the heart of a musical theater major do you have any closing thoughts for us um you know i i want to say it again magical elves Top Chef, bravo. Uh, Excellent episode here. Just editing. I thought for sure those two, Malarkey and Liam Wong, were going home. And they. it it got to the point where I was like, no, they can't go home because everything is going so poorly for them. And knowing who they are, there's no way that they're going to go home because it's just – the Magic Lells never do that. They never show their hands so much that you're going to have to keep guessing. And at this point – just the preview, the, the editing during the show, it was fantastic. I thought it was really great and a real curveball. Uh, when I was looking at this, I was saying, if it wasn't Malarkey and Leanne Wong, who's it going to be? And man, Nini and Karen, that you, we're at this point in the competition where uh, in, in editing for 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 uh, stories, when you get when you hand in an article and it's couple thousand to couple thousand words too long you know what they say tom we got to kill some babies here i'm sorry that's what happened on this episode i felt like nini should not be going home at this point in the competition especially for a dish that was awesome but hey we got to kill some babies and it's gonna be really sad but here we are and uh uh well done by the editing team um tom as as padma said i, I think this is true for the rest of the way here good food is just the baseline For Tom Haberstroh, I'm Kevin Arnovitz, and this is Pack Your Knives. Mm